Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the SBA's road ahead to expand the contracting base. Don't expect anyone outside the Beltway to know what we know about the availability of all these programs. You got to meet them where they are. And the back to office ideas to really engage your workforce. When we start to bring these employees back in, we have to consider what they've been through and how they've evolved. They have new hobbies, they have new goals in life, they have new desires. So we really have to relearn who our employees are. It's Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The next administrator of the Transportation Security Administration will be the current one if the Senate confirms him again. President Biden nominated David Pekoski for a second term as TSA administrator Friday. The Senate confirmed him for his first term as administrator in August 2017. He's also former vice commandant of the Coast Guard. The Marine Corps will stand up a new information command to support its Force Design 2030, according to an update to the design from Commandant General David Berger. The update includes upgrades to doctrine and training standards for Information Systems 2. The update directs the Office of Deputy Commandant for Information and Marine Corps Training and Education Command to produce the doctrine. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Voting's open now for the best bosses in federal IT. You can vote for the best bosses till May 20th. You can find a link to see the nominees and vote in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The administrator of the Small Business Administration, Isabella Guzman, says government contracting to small businesses is off by 40%. Her agency is asking Congress for money to reach out to minority small businesses to boost that number. Joe Jordan's president and CEO of Actaparo. He's former administrator of federal procurement policy. Joe, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Also formerly at SBA, why is this money that they're asking for for this particular use important in your view? Welcome, Joe. Thanks, Francis. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, yes, I had a, a really wonderful experience working at the Small Business Administration. And when I saw that they were asking for uh, millions more in training and outreach dollars, I just thought that was um, spot on, a great use of money, um, and, and really will have, in, in my opinion, should have an outsized positive effect. And, and here's why. The president has um, clearly laid out through executive order and many, many statements his desire to get more contracting dollars in the hands of small and specifically um, minority-owned small businesses. Um, we've also seen a number of efforts focused on increasing economic opportunities for veterans um, and a lot of push for veteran entrepreneurship. And the training education dollars that Administrator Guzman and um, the administration are going to ask for in the SBA's budget um, really are focused on trying to, one, reach out to these communities and make them aware of all of the programs and opportunities uh, available to them. Um, to start and grow their small businesses, and then also to uh, skill them up, to train them on exactly how to, um, you know, work the government contracting system, right? It has some differences, many similarities, but some differences um, versus selling in a business-to-business context. And um, you can't just expect everyone to learn those on their own. And so, um, as I, we've talked, you know, in the past about the president's efforts to increase opportunities for small minority and veteran-owned business. I said these are laudable goals, but how? What tools are you giving people to go meet these increased goals? You know, trying to get ten percent of 
contracting dollars in the hands of minority-owned small businesses. Well, now we're seeing that. And I, and I just, I want to kind of um, give credit where credit is due. I asked the question, how are you going to do this? And it seems like the administration has a perfectly good answer. And I'm excited to see them do this and, and partner in any way I can to, to make that successful. Joe, Larry Allen uh, chose this as one of his most important federal news stories of the week on the FedScoop News Countdown on Friday. And he said the reason this is important is the same reasons that you just laid out. The question that he kind of raised that I think is a legitimate one is how do we make sure that we get the best bang for the buck? So there's going to be a component of this that is the role of the Small Business Administration to help educate these companies. It strikes me there's also a role for your former office in the Office of Federal Procurement Policy. There's also a role for the General Services Administration. There may be a role for some of the holders of some of the big GWACs like NITAC and NASA Soup. And there's a lot of potential pieces where, once again, another goal of the administration is to reduce the touch points that different people and organizations have to try to do whatever their business is, the business of a citizen or the business of contracting with the federal government. What's your sense of the the best way to put all of those resources and all that money together so that when I start a small business and I want to do contracting with the government, I go one place to learn one time all of the things that I need to know in order to maximize my potential to serve the government well. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, Francis, um, totally agree that's going to require an all hands on deck approach. And, um, you know, anybody listening should probably rewind 30 seconds and listen to the various stakeholder groups and partners that are going to be required to make this successful because I think you nailed it. Um, now, I would only differentiate, I think about it differently on only one dimension, which is instead of going to one place to get all the information, what I think they're going to be successful in doing is if you can go to many places, but get the same information. Okay. So, you know, uh, expanding the Veterans Business Outreach Center program from 22 to 34 locations nationwide, I think is a great step. Um, you know, SBA is kind of like the mighty mouse of agencies. It's small, but it's got really powerful outsized impact. And what I liked, one of the things I like most about this is instead of using their policy role to, you know, lean on agencies to um, do outreach and, and, you know, do everything they can to hit their goals, which is important and a critical part of this. They're saying, hey, we want to do some of this ourselves. We've got ways to get out into the community, these communities, um, to do some of this outreach and training. And, and I love that, taking on some of the kind of responsibility and, um, you know, push for this in, inside of SBA, I think is amazing. Um, it still will require the, those other components that you talked about. And and it's interesting that you mentioned OFPP. I mean, I look every once in a while. I know Binium was nominated August 5th of last year and referred over to his GAC four days later on the 9th. And I haven't heard boo since then. And, and that really bums me out because we're now sitting here 18 months or so after inauguration with with no uh, political leadership in that office. Now, of course, Leslie, Matthew, and Joni are the best triumvirate of political executives in the entire federal government, and nobody better from a career leadership standpoint to run an agency. But it's not the same if you don't give them some political air cover. And I'm just not sure we're being fair to that um, you know, career leadership in, in not kind of pushing to get some binium or someone in there. So um, yeah, that would be helpful. Um, just like it would be helpful to get more of... Um, you know, the, the senior DOD appointments made and confirmed were at whatever, fewer than two thirds. Um, and so I, I don't think people fully understand the impact of this because, you know, 
to hit these goals and, and many other acquisition goals is going to require increased um, smart risk taking and increased risk tolerance by the folks um, utilizing new contractors, small business, et cetera. And you really need some political uh, leadership and air cover to, to make that a reality. And so, um, you know, that, that is one piece of it that I would love to see the administration do next, but not to, in any way to take away from really smartly asking for these training outreach dollars. No, I agree with you, first of all, 100% about what you said about uh, Leslie and Matthew and Joni. They're just some of the best civil servants we have, and I probably am not supposed to say that on a show like this, but it's just, <laughs> Well, it's facts. It you can is. never you know, get accused well, of true. picking favorites, so it's facts. Okay, fair enough. Um, but as you, as you made that case... I thought of more like so it's not just going to be the ones that I listed earlier. VA is also going to be involved for the veteran owned uh, small businesses. There's a labor department component too. So if we're going to continue to have many places, uh, I'll give you that. If we're going, if the important thing is for them to all have the same information that they're conveying also tremendously important, then it sounds like what it boils down to. And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but it's just this, concept of a customer journey treating these small businesses like customers that's already in the pma that the administration's pushing is it i mean of course it will be more complex than that but it maybe doesn't have to be joe yeah it i mean it doesn't have to be to make a significant significant positive impact um you know i, I talked to small business owners all the time who are brilliant innovative and driving great kind of new products and services who have no idea about these opportunities that are available to them. Um, you know, whether they're counseling and training opportunities that are free, you know, they've already paid for them through their tax dollars or whether it's growth opportunities through, you know, research grants um, or contracts. And, and so it, you know, it just, at this point, it's not something that is surprising to me. It's just kind of table stakes. Hey, don't expect anyone outside the beltway to know what we know about the availability of all these programs. You got to get, you got to meet them where they are. And I think that is, um, you know, through all of the channels you mentioned through some increased spending on it, through some increased focus on it, um, you know, really kind of a silver bullet on, on how we can, um, you know, drive better outcomes throughout the acquisition system for everyone. How do we look back on this after implementation and decide it worked the way we wanted it to, or it didn't, and we need to re rethink. Yeah, I think you know there's simple scorecard elements around percentage of dollars going to various groups and and things like that. Um, you know, people focus a lot on the number of businesses who receive a contract or not. I think those there's a lot of noise in that data, right? Like we just the absolute number of contractors isn't a good or a bad necessarily, as long as we have you know, optimal levels of competition, innovation, you know, cycling in new vendors, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, that through all of those various quantitative uh, measures, as well as qualitative measures of quality of output, pace of innovation, pure acquisition, lead time going out, all those sorts of things, um, I think we'll be able to, you know, say these things are successful. But again, when you're, you know, I have this with my SBA hat on, I have to say, like, the, the magnitude of these dollars is tiny compared, like, I could say it's successful if it outperforms like one fixed wing aircraft because that's all, you know, th this money is a tenth of what we spend on one fighter jet. So like, you know, these are not risky investments for Congress to make. They're smart target investments 
that that'll be really hard not to produce an outsized positive impact. Joe Jordan, I always have you on because you're passionate, my friend. It's great to see you. <laughs> I'll never lose a passion, my friend. You can read more about the training money the SBA requested in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. The lineup for the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference next Thursday is loaded. The conference is happening at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to see the lineup in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. A back-to-office plan is in place at the Commerce Department. That plan includes input from stakeholders all over the department. Jessica Palatka is Director of Human Resources Management and Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Commerce. Jessica, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. What's the essence, the the basics of your agency's back-to-the-office plan? Welcome. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here and to be able to speak to what our department is doing um, so we developed a plan that focused on three different areas. So we looked at our facilities, so analyzing and updating facilities. We looked at employee readiness, um, and then we analyzed some short, medium, and long-term goals. And so when we did that, we took into consideration CDC guidance, Safer Federal Task Force. We had touch points with the President's Management Council um, and internally as well with all of our bureau leadership. And then for me, I reached out to my Chico counterparts across the, the government but we designed a plan um, that offered baseline guidance as well as a path for exceptions. Um, and that baseline guidance was up to two days of telework per week. But again, we allowed our bureaus to expand options beyond that baseline if was required. Um, we looked for next steps. So that's immediate. But, you know, how does this progression take place over time? Um, and then most importantly, we looked to open forums for engagement for our senior leadership to answer outstanding questions. So once we put that plan together, our secretary and deputy secretary sent out our return to office guidance, and that occurred on March 25th. What's the timeline for folks to do whatever it is that this guidance expects them to do, Jessica? Oh, Great question. So when we put out that guidance on March 25th, we gave essentially 30 days notice. So our return to office date just occurred. It was April 25th. Now that said, we acknowledged that within the first 30 days, there was a lot that was going to occur. So we were still going to allow some maximum flexibility for about 60 more days beyond that. So while our return to office expectation date was April 25th, there was still some flexibility allowed for the first two months. Um, and then we gave a lot of other considerations. So as I mentioned, when we established our return to office plan, we looked at individuals who already had telework agreements in place, union agreements, things like that, that would impact a department-wide return to office. Um, but we looked to help, um, excuse me, employee health and safety measures. So we looked at cleaning protocols. We looked at employee assistance programs, masking and health. Um, and then also we looked at variances. So I mentioned some of that flexibility in the guidance that was put out, how we were going to address that. And then we put into plan a three-week action plan. Um, so we started counting down three weeks out what had to occur at what point to make sure that on April 25th, we were ready to go. The conversations that you had with your Chico counterparts, what did those conversations revolve around and what kind of feedback and, and information did you get from your colleagues across the Chico community and government, Jessica? Uh, so those those conversations were polar. So we had conversations about 
masks, testing, vaccination, when, when that was still all up in the air and was still part of the discussion. And then we had the very strategic of how many days a week, what is the basis for it, what research is being done, how are we taking care of our employees and looking out for the for their own health. Um, and then something that, that we started to look at internal to commerce, where I also use my, my Chico counterparts, is looking at change management, um, communication, to our employees, engagement with our employees. And then the word that I used before, agility. Um, so looking at how we were going to address the, the difference in the employee work that would come into play with the return to office. So we have this new hybrid work schedule that we're looking at, um, but how do we reskill? How do we upskill? So all those things are things that I reached out to the Chico Council and that we discussed um, and that we continue to discuss in the president's management agenda um, workshops that we have one of which is uh the future of work yeah and that was where i wanted to go next because that's obviously a huge priority to this administration the workforce has been uh something that every administration has talked about in the pma and i wonder what connection or maybe even opportunities you might see to implement the president's management agenda through the back to office and and trying to shore up employee wellness and think about i love the way they use the term readiness the same way the military does um what was what what's your sense of what all that might look like Sure, absolutely. So with specific regard to the president's management agenda, there's we look at that as part of our evolving workforce where there's quite a few trends that we're taking into consideration. We have a shifting culture, which you and I have talked about at length before that the employees coming back are not the employees we had in, in February of 2020. So we have to look towards a shift in that culture. And one of the things that the department here has done is look towards our core values. So we have service, passion, respect, and equity and how we use those to address the culture that we will have going forward um, and how we better define what that organization is going to look like as we return to the office. We're addressing the aging workforce. We've heard the great retirement. Um, so far at Commerce, we have not seen evidence of it, but we know that it is very prevalent in other agencies. And as I work with my Chico counterparts, paying specific attention to see, again, upskilling and reskilling, is that something that we're going to have to take advantage of as we return? So with regard specifically to the president's management agenda, we have two different areas there. Um, so increasing diversity and talent opportunities, which is aligning specifically with strengthening and empowering the federal workforce. So we have placed an increased focus on creating a federal workplace that is more equitable, inclusive, and diverse. Um, and then also exploring ways to accomplish um, increase to our outreach. So minority serving institutions, diverse professional groups, and groups representing veterans and peoples with disabilities. Um, and then the second area of the PMA that we're addressing is delivering ec excellent, equitable, and secure federal services in the customer experience. So in particular there, we are reimagining HR um, here at the Department of Commerce with what we call a one HR model and looking to develop my office to be the strategic home for all things human capital. So focusing on strategic and consultative services while moving out some of the tactical and operational work to an enterprise services structure um, to allow my office to be the one that um, has the development of some of these action plans, some of these strategies in specific response to the president's management agenda. So you've got 12 or 13 bureaus inside Commerce, Jessica, yeah. yes. Um, yes. which is it? I forget. <laughs> 13. Okay. So how does that, how does what you're doing at the enterprise level, uh, how does that intersect with what's happening 
vertically inside the organization at the bureaus in their human capital operations and so on it does that mean the tactical stuff gets pushed down to the bureau level or does that mean it it goes horizontally across the agency like what does that look like so what i am trying to do with my organization is establish an organization that if i mention that customer centric so every bureau, regardless of their size, is a customer. Um, and we are here to coordinate efforts, find centers of excellence, um, replicate best practices, and then assist some of the bureaus who might have a smaller subset of HR that aren't able to maintain their own HR services. Um, so what I like to do is have groups in place. We have one called our Principal Human Resources Manager, where my counterpart in the Census Bureau, my counterpart in Patent and Trademark Office, and then NOAA, we all get together on a biweekly basis, then we share. Um, we have working groups where we do the same. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier when you build those relationships. And I, I've told them, I'm not here to do your work for, I just wanna make your work easier. I, I wanna understand what your needs and concerns are. I wanna keep those channels of communication open and I wanna be your advocate. I wanna make sure that what I am doing is only going to assist what you're doing. I do not wanna be a roadblock to their work. Um, what we're trying to do is put together this summer a uh, forum where all of us principal human resource managers come together to help determine the ultimate strategic human plan for the organization to take on some strategic initiatives that my office won't necessarily lead. I'm going to ask some of the larger bureaus um, to help lead some of these efforts so that it's not just, oh, the direction's coming down from the Chico again, right? That, that's not what what kind of Chico I would like to be. Um, I would really like to be more inclusive and have outside opinions and get more diverse thought. Um, and that's what the goal is with these types of groups. You mentioned a moment ago, and I recall that conversation too, Jessica, that we talked about uh, not long ago, the fact that the folks that are coming back to the office now are different than the people that left in March of 2020. How Absolutely. are they different? What have you seen as, are, are there trends, I guess, are there uh, kind of commonalities among the changes that you've seen in folks as they come back to the office two years plus on? Absolutely. So you know, the, the employees who are coming back have dealt with extreme difficult situations. Some have experienced illness, losses of family member, prolonged seclusion, financial impacts. These are things that to some extent we all have experienced in the past but never so much within two years and not so many of us all at once um, so when we start to bring these employees back in we have to consider what they've been through and how they've evolved they have new hobbies they have new goals in life they have new desires so we really have to relearn who our employees are when we had in-person relationships prior to the pandemic that individual, what you knew about them might not be what you know about that person now. And so if we don't take that into consideration and try to incorporate into that, that culture in, the, in our department, that is what builds our sense of identity. That's what increases group commitment to our organization and gives meaning to the group's collective experiences and reinforces those four values that I mentioned that our leadership has put out for us to demonstrate. You know, those, those core values are the foundation of um, you know, not just our culture, but also what our organization does, economic growth, opportunity for all communities. If you hear those words and then hear the struggles that we just went through, those things go hand in hand. Um, so that's why those values are so important to us and why getting to know our employees again is only going to further strengthen the mission of our department um, and the core values that, that we honor. Um, 
it, you know, I, I've, I've really enjoyed being able to start to meet individuals in person. Um, what I have seen are individuals who are very reluctant to return for a variety of reasons. Um, and what's nice about what our leadership has done is that we have afforded a hybrid opportunity um, and that we are allowing employees to have flexibility as they return to office. Um, and the individuals who are slowly returning, it, it's only been positive. You see smiles, you see hugs, you see handshakes, you see individuals who are happy about that face-to-face -face interaction, are happy to be back at in-person meetings, um, and are really enjoying getting those relationships back that they seem to have lost. Um, and then you have to consider the new employees who didn't have a, a hand in the culture in the first place, who, who have never stepped foot in the building, who don't know where things are. So it's been a, it's going to be an interesting few months, that's for sure. The change management, too, isn't just management to employees. That's not vertical. That's horizontal, too. And I imagine it's vertical from your level all the way up to Secretary Raimondo. I mean, that's that's this is a change management challenge for the entire organization. And I would guess that your closest partners in that are going to be the CIO, the, the uh, you're the Chico, the acquisition leader at the agency, and the chief financial officer as, as you all try to figure out, they're relying on you for how they're going to get to know those employees again. And you're relying on them for the resources that you need to, to do all of these things. Am I reading that right? Yeah. Absolutely. So change management, you know, during if this isn't an exercise in change management, we had change management that occurred back in March. We had change management that occurred a few months later when we started to realize this isn't just a two week we're staying home. Right. So there was how many episodes of change management that have occurred over the past two years. And this is another one. This one might be a little bit more prolonged. As I said, you know, we announced this in March. We're looking at a few months. So as we're kind of slow rolling this hybrid workplace, um, and encouraging individuals to come back. You know, I mentioned before, we have three themes in our change management here at the department, and you're absolutely correct. This is not just with me. This goes all the way up to the top. You know, I mentioned communication, um, of which, you know, the CIO is important, the CFO is important, acquisitions is important. But, you know, where we have been really successful in our communication is the messaging frameworks that our leadership has put into place. Um, and I don't just mean leadership at the secretary and the deputy secretary level, but also at the bureau level, um, as well as our supervisors, every supervisor that we have that is essential to communicating what their wants and needs for their own employees are, utilizing different methods of communication and receiving information um, based off of employees' needs and their skill sets, um, and then ensuring that all the communications are they're proactive, they're transparent, they're clear and consistent that we make sure that that messaging continues throughout and they're constantly getting the same message that there's absolutely no confusion. Um, the second one was engagement that I mentioned. So, you know, just having some thoughtful interactions with our employees. I mentioned our three week plan. I mentioned our return to office date was April 25th. So we look to active engagement. Some of the things that we did here, we on day one, our leadership was in the lobby. Our leadership was right there to welcome individuals back into the building. We, we coordinated Potomac Fever um, they are a acapella group out of the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington, D.C. So on the first day back, they came to our auditorium and put on a performance at lunchtime for our staff. We had food trucks that have come into our courtyard, including an ice cream truck. Um, we had a, a cake cutting. And then we, we looked at the facilities. So where I started, where I mentioned, you know, analyzing and updating facilities being imported, 
Um, we took the downtime of employees being out of the building to put in a brand new gym facility for our employees. We renovated our daycare. So we really took advantage while the employees were not in the building to upgrade some of those facilities. So, you know, encouraging that along with our um, communication um, and the third one that I had mentioned was agility. So I've mentioned hybrid work options. I've mentioned learning, training, reskilling, and, and upskilling. Those are the three pillars of our change management plan that have been so important to how we successfully bring employees back into this hybrid scenario. You mentioned uh, that ultimate HR plan that you are going to construct. What's the timeline for that look like? And what's the, I, I, I won't ask you for the end because you're not to the end, you're just starting it. But what, I guess, conceptually or philosophically do you want it to look like at the end? What do you want it to say about where the department goes people-wise? I don't know, is it a four-year strategy, five years, whatever? That's a that's a great question. So some of this is budget-driven, correct? So, you know, if you if you ask me, I'm one of those energetic, let's get it all put in place today. And my <laughs> yeah. staff like, yeah, we've heard that before, you know. Um, you know, they, they're, they're very good. I have my, my chief of staff, I told him today, he, his job is to slap projects out of my hands. Um, you know, I would, I would love to have this in place by the end of the year, but, but if I'm going to do this and do it correctly, this takes budget requirements, this takes resources. Um, and that planning right now is going through FY25. So full realization of this project would be through fiscal year 25. Um, and like I said, this aligns to the president's management agenda, um, and it also aligns to our own department's strategic plan that was just laid out um, that runs from 2022 to 2026. So in line with the department's strategic plan, that's when I hope to see this. If I had to, um, you know, give a short statement, I want to see the Office of Human Resource Management be the strategic thought leader for the department. I would like to see the role of the Chico with the Department of Commerce be the lead for human capital across the department where I'm, I'm a thought partner. I am a contributor. I am a partner with the bureaus that I have mentioned, PTO and Census and NOAA. Um, you know, I want to help evolve an innovative workforce who is customer centric um, and teach them the gray. And, and that's something that I've, I've tried to instill with my staff that so much in HR you hear, well, no policy says no or yes, but what's the gray? Let's move beyond HR, move into human capital and take this a step further of what we can do, what's within the realm of the possible. Um, and then how do we push past those boundaries of the realm of the impossible? So that's where I'm, I'm looking to go. I really wanna see a strategic human capital function at the department um, that is separated from the tactical and the operational that really has the chance to be um, you know, the lead for uh, government, for HR. So thinking about that vision and not necessarily about the tactical pieces of achieving it, what do you need from outside of the department? What do you need from OMB? What do you need from the Office of Personnel Management and so on that maybe you don't have or don't have enough of or whatever? So one of the things that, you know, and luckily I have these conversations with OPM, with OMB on a regular basis. So these aren't surprising things, you know, to them. And they are very open to, you know, what I'll just use the crossword criticism. And I don't even know if that's correct. They're just open to our input and thoughts. You know, as we get legislation or we get information and pass back documents that shares, hey, we want you to staff up um, in this area. 
we are happy to take on new legislation. We are happy to take on new congressional initiatives. We just need the operational staff to back it. So many times we see plus ups and there, there is no CIO, there is no OFM, there is no acquisition staffing that goes along with it. But you guys, we gave you 500 new employees. Aren't you happy? <laughs> no, I still have the same 20 people back here trying to do all the work, you know? Um, so that would be the biggest help that we could get is, you know, as, as we see some of these, um, you know, congressional mandates as they came through to also see the attention placed on the operational side of the house that then has to sustain and care and feed for the employees who come along with it, because we don't want to see our servicing ratios decline to a point where we're not capable of providing. Um, and, and, you know, especially with that PMA objective of customer experience, we would really like to maintain the capability to keep such a high level of customer experience that only comes with additional resources when we see those types of plus ups. Jessica Polak, uh, terrific conversation. Congratulations on getting your people starting to come back to the office. It's great to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You can read more about Back to the Office in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the program, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the Daily Scoop Podcast. This program's a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow afternoon. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.